Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit newsfeed, well, All I can say is maybe February is for fraud. We have a number of different fraud in the headline type of articles to cover. Nick, how's it going? It is going good, George. I'm having a good week. Enjoyed the long weekend. I hope you are as well. But as you alluded to, we want to spend this week talking about fraud because when we were looking through the nonprofit news, The news was all bad. So buckle up. Here we go. It's fun, bad, fun, bad. Good news um, if you like fraud, because our first story is about the Project Veritas CEO has been ousted by his own board of directors. So James O'Keefe was the founder and CEO of the very conservative organization Project Veritas and has been ousted by the group's board of directors, according to reporting from the Washington Post, Politico, and others. So O'Keefe was ousted on concerns that his antics threatened the organization's IRS 501c3 status, according to a memo released by the board that ousted him. O'Keefe alleges he was unfairly ousted, And it seems that this is kind of playing out in the public, like a little power struggle here. Regardless, O'Keefe has been called as cruel by some former employees and has been alleged to spend money in lavish ways, including spending $14,000 on a private chartered flight and upwards of $150,000 for private drivers over the previous 18 months. Why is that a problem? Well, the organization is an IRS 501c3 charity. And that is not a good look to regulators. And it seems that the board picked up on that. Now, Project Veritas is known for its hyper aggressive sting operation type videos that target almost exclusively progressives and liberals in mainstream organizations, campaigns, advocacy groups, or the media, which also calls into question that 501c3 organizations uh, cannot be engaged in politics. Nevertheless, uh, quite a shakeup for this organization, which does cause stirs in the, the political world. George, what's your read on our first fraud story of the day? Powerful reminder that when you are a 501c3 reminder, it doesn't mean you're doing you know good net positive things. I, I do objectively think there's a, a role for organizations that are trying to do some of that muckraking and like looking under the hood and being like, is, you know, is this a good organization? Are others doing good? But it's the palpable irony here where they themselves are sort of uh, self-emulating because of the, the misspend. Uh, And, you know, it's not, it goes beyond overhead. I think, you know, there's that fine line of saying like, oh, charities that spend on, Staff and expenses have this overhead myth, which is different than saying they're egregious spending on things that are not directly corollary and can't even be argued corollary to the the work that the organization does. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny to see this because you're going to see this again and again, where guess what? When you're a public charity, that stuff is, 
you know, is trackable. It has to be reported. It's, it's right there. It's right there for the board. And they realize the risk to reputation, which is disproportionately high for nonprofits. You live and die on your reputation. You live and die on showing up in the eyes of potential donors and returning donors saying like, no, 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 we used your funds responsible. Look at what we accomplished. And what we accomplished can't be $100,000 in Uber costs. Yeah, absolutely. It's a trust issue. Uh, it's a public trust issue. I think that that's absolutely correct. And this actually harkens back, I think, some of those internal power dynamics harken back to the NRA, which had really, really complicated internal politics at play in the organization really took a severe hit in reputation across the board. And quite frankly, is why you haven't heard from them over the past year or so, um, is because of uh, almost very similar situation, to be honest. Um, so yeah, definitely a cautionary tale. Again, uh, hyper conservative, very, very controversial organization, sometimes uh, veering into, uh, if not surpassing, legality. They've actually been sued for paying for uh, Biden's daughter's uh, stolen diary and then publishing it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we won't get into that, but um, I, I agree with your, your assessment there, George. Shall I take us into our next story? Yeah, what are we at? All right. This one comes from the Mormon Church uh, of CNBC, as it was reported, that the Mormon Church uh, has to pay $5 million to the SEC or Security Exchange Commission for uh, disclosure failures. It turns out that the Mormon Church has a vast portfolio uh, of an investment value which reached $32 billion in 2018. And uh, it seemed that in an effort to kind of shield that from public critique, created all sorts of tw like shell companies, essentially. Um, they're called clone LLCs. Um, and again, they created 12 of them from 1997 through 2019 to kind of shield some of the vast uh, investment holdings from uh, public view. Um, but now they're getting slapped with uh, a pretty, pretty hefty fine there. Again, not, not in the billions, but a 5 million settlement to the SEC. Um, so again, an example of an organization not doing its due diligence with reporting um, and, and disclosing, in this case, uh, vast sums of money um, that they were uh, maneuvering through uh, LLCs uh, to kind of mask their, uh, their investment portfolio. $5 million is not even a slap on the wrist. I think if you look at $32 billion of funds under assets that are essentially like looking at a 501c3 nonprofit is actually like that's I'm pretty sure a hedge fund. It's larger than most hedge funds. And you know, we see this also in the medical health industry where yeah, there's a 501c at the front door, but I think you'd be hard pressed to look behind and see something that looks any different than like a hedge fund, a massive investment portfolio. I think there may be cause for a larger conversation about at what point is this no longer for the public benefit when you are effectively, again, an investment vehicle, right? Why do you get to have tax deductions for 
your return on capital when you just roll that back into a larger portfolio. I think there's a line here also. I just draw that line between an endowment that's being paid paid off, paid down for the public benefit and being put out there. Yes, the you know Church of Latter-day Saints um, can certainly have that argument, but I think there's a point at which that just turns into a front door that gives you tax deductions <laughs> and a hedge fund, right? And um, I would say you cross that easily at the, the $32 billion range. Um, whether or not that can ever be legislated is, is another question, but it's, um, <laughs> I was shocked actually at that number. Uh, yeah, that's quite a, that's quite a hefty number that they got there. That's quite a chunk of change. Um, that would, uh, that would go to a nice, nice apartment here in the city. Um, <laughs> no, I think you bring up some, some really good points there. And, and again, a $5 million fine is, is, uh, nothing compared to, to that investment portfolio. So, um, it does bring up kind of does, do the ramifications for things like this actually match um, something that is poses real consequence for organizations that don't do their due diligence? Yeah, and underlying this, right, this article is talking about how they sort of have acknowledged the SEC that they uh, use these clone LLCs from 1997 to 2019, uh, roughly 13, 12 to 13 of them, uh, and it hid the size of their equity portfolio. Like, <laughs> Question, if you feel like you're doing something above board, question in the front row, why why hide them in LLCs? So it uh, clearly, hopefully leads to, to further examination of the, the tactics of these portfolio-based nonprofits. Absolutely. I concur. And moving along, uh, this one comes from the Wall Street Journal. And the title of this is Former FTX Executives Charity Generated Profits from Employee Token Prices. Going back to FTX, of course, founder Sam Bankman-Fried was a proponent of the effective altruism movement. And unfortunately, there was a lot of overlap between FTX and charitable and philanthropic causes. And it appears that an executive of FTX generated profits um, via these these tokens that appreciated in value, um, and they were employee tokens. Um, and within the vehicle of a charity, I'll be honest, George, this is all very above my head. So I'm just going to turn it to you. What, what what lesson do we need to take from this? Yeah, these these tokens, right, that can be generated out of thin air, and the FTT tokens that FTX, you know, lived and died on. More more died, I think, on that front. You know, we we talked about effective altruism and how the ends justify the means in that narrative, where maybe fraud goes above and beyond. But the narrative that Sam Bankman-Fried maybe have been could have been telling himself in his head is that this is all justified because I'm going to give it all away in the end. However, the end happened much sooner. And actually any of what we're seeing, the the charitable efforts along the way have have tremendous problems with them. And there are, you know, just story after story in this case, we're seeing how this, uh, you know, charity was given these tokens, which probably had some question marks on them because those tokens weren't worth anything because they were effectively unbanked, unbacked securities. So, you know, another 150 million trying to cash out of its frozen FTX account, you know, will probably not, not be able to go ahead 
Um, and there's a lot of, you know, I think nonprofits and great causes that maybe expected um, significant paydays and instead are getting probably more headaches and hopefully not risk of infrastructural collapse because if they hired against this or they did certain actions against this or didn't go after other donors as a net result, uh, worse than effective altruism, it's destructive altruism. It's actually hurting almost every organization that they potentially talk to because of what it meant for them. And this is just a sort of a call back to that. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great point. The fallout from this, this whole saga has been very broad, touched a lot of organizations um, in the charitable sector, especially. So I think you bring up some good points. I am going to take us into our next story now, and this one comes from Forbes. And the essence of this story is that the Medical Cost Sharing Ministry, or MCS, is a Christian ministry offering an Obamacare alternative, but has been accused of $4 million in fraud by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, allegedly denying coverage to hundreds of clients who had medical bills they thought would be covered in return for monthly contributions which were not. The feds claim that the business owners, Craig and James, Craig Reynolds and James McGinnis pocketed 4 million of the 7.5 million in membership payments with only 250K actually going to the medical expenses. Um, The organization has not distributed any money to any members since 2021. And the article goes on to talk about victims of the alleged fraud being uh, two pregnant women um, and others, um, a heart attack sufferer, uh, a woman who had to be airlift to the hospital. Um, and, and these folks were left with thousands of unpaid medical bills uh, and, and MCS, this organization essentially uh, refused to covering the cost and was pocketed. Um, so this sucks. <laughs> well, I don't mean to laugh. I was just waiting for a more nuanced take. Uh, yeah, the the brutal truth is that when you mix uh, faith and Christianity with corrupt individuals, and they can then leverage that and use narratives like "Look how bad Obamacare is." Let's you know create a separate insurance company. Trust us. Trust God, you pay us and we'll definitely be there for you, uh, is called an unregulated insurance market. And I think any claims of this, right, where you're effectively offering uh, insurance or any type of uh, protection like this should be treated like that. You're, you're no longer you know, a nonprofit. You are operating and making a promise to people giving you money uh, that falls under real commercial liability and security liability. And I I think any uh, much more scrutiny, I think this is just, you know, one of maybe many, it was a big number, Uh, but this is um, incredibly depressing because you're just taking advantage of people's faith um, for profit. Makes me a little sick in your words, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it it's a little it's a little sickening, um, but yeah, you bring up some good points that are worth worth highlighting, um, and just it's always terrible when folks are taken advantage of and such. Man, this is a real space. fraud lineup. So, I mean, this is I think uh, something why we, we keep call an it eye out for fraud. <laughs> Absolutely. 
All right, I'll take us to our next story. And this one involves, interestingly, Sean Penn. So Sean Penn's charity, Core, has become a money mess, according to Bloomberg.com. Um, so uh, Sean Penn hosted a party at Soho Beach House um, for an Art Basel event and raised $1.6 million for his nonprofit core response um, with money earmarked for COVID relief efforts in Latin America. And the victory, the fundraiser was a victory for core response. Um, and uh, it raised close to $200 million, putting 3,000-plus people on its payroll. Um, the money would go to Brazil, the only place in the region where CORE had any notable COVID relief programs. Um, however, CORE responses struggled to find new footing after winding down its ground-level staffing in Los Angeles and other U.S. cities when the Delta variant ebbed. So it seems that the story here is a lot of money very quickly and complicated management of said money once the mission changes and COVID evolves. George, what's your take? I just wanted to make sure we we did bring this up. It was you know brought up I think earlier in February and it's kind of been on the in the background as we've been sort of watching to see if any other details came of light. But you know the if you raise money for a cause, make sure you can track it to that cause. I think Sean Penn does you know a lot of interesting work in the field of philanthropy, but it's also important to investigate the the narratives the authenticity and, and where the money goes and not just sort of, you know, fall, fall under the spell of brand of celebrity. Um, I'm actually, I tend to be more, <laughs> I tend to be more skeptical when I see a celebrity first initiative rather than a cause first. Yeah. I think that's a good and important point there. Um, definitely something <laughs> to think about, especially, um, as we talk about, you know, celebrity endorsed causes and nonprofits, um, and, you know, takes us even back to our, our Sam Bankman-Fried article. But I, I think you raise a lot of points that are important to remember. Um, and this story kind of pulls the thread on those a little bit. But I can take us into our feel-good story. And this feel-good story comes from USA Today, and it is about a nonprofit organization called Achieve Tahoe that has made skiing adaptive and accessible for disabled people or people with disabilities. Um, so this organization out in Tahoe, which I know is a place near and dear uh, to some of my coworkers, including uh, you, George, um, is helping kids and others with disabilities access a venture uh, outdoors type activities like skiing, um, which is which is always awesome. Like it's so cool when something, I guess, kind of as physically intense as skiing is accessible uh, to folks. Uh, it's just an awesome story. Great work from Achieve Tahoe and just uh, in a day of fraud, I think a really awesome way to uh, highlight an organization doing good work. We needed a feel good story after the end of today. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to be up in Tahoe and saw that story made me smile. Um, finally, I have to ask you a question, Nick. Uh, why don't donors trust ladder up messages? Wait for it. It's because they're always up to something. Yep, that's what I'll leave you with. 
All right. Thanks. See you out there. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 